0: You're listening
1: to KBU 90.7 FM and uh, in Portland, and I apologize listening for having some uh, to technical o- difficulties Portland here. KBOO
2: on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 9 FM. KBOO Community Radio is listener-sponsored. <laughs> That's right. 80% of our funding comes from donations from listeners just like you. Step up during our last week and help us reach our goal of $55,000 for the fall membership drive. Contribute at kboo.fm slash give by October 28th and your donation will be matched dollar for dollar up to $14,000 thanks to the generous support of a group of anonymous donors. Donate and become a member today by going to kboo.fm forward slash give right now or by texting KBOO244321.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. Now, before we get to today's program, don't forget about our fresh-off-the-vine fundraising drive. To support programming like Pathways, go to kboo.fm.com slash give or text the letters KBOO to 44321 to become a monthly sustaining member. It only takes a minute to show your support for Community Powered Radio. That website again is KBOO.FM slash give. We need and thank you for your support. Well, today we're going to have another show about psychedelics. And Psychedelic experiences, as we're learning, have the power to heal, inspire, and liberate the human mind, body, and soul. But these substances are only as powerful as our ability to understand, integrate, and support them. And today's guest works to contributing toward building a society where psychedelic experiences, education, and strong communities necessary to process them are accessible to all. Our guest today is Tom Hatsis executive director of Sanctum, a nonprofit psychedelic education and harm reduction organization located in Portland, Oregon. Sanctum Thrift is a project of Sanctum, which is the first nonprofit thrift store to align itself with and contribute to the growing field of psychedelic assisted therapy, a form of treatment that can address the root causes that lead many people to paths of addiction not to mention PTSD, depression, and anxiety, and at times, houselessness. Tom is a psychedelic historian and author of The Witch's Ointment, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, Microdosing Magic, and LSD, The Wonder Child. When not studying psychedelics, Tom enjoys employing them in witchcraft and personal alchemy. Hello, Tom, and welcome to The Pathway Show.
0: Hey, paulo always great to talk to you
1: now we want to talk about sanctum and the sanctum thrift store but first uh, let's start out by finding more about you um it's co-founder how did you get into this uh, psychedelic uh,
0: realm well i've been interested in psychedelics my entire adult life um, i've been studying them for about 25 or so years 20 23 to 25 years and um it all began when i was 18 years old i had my first uh i believe it was a half eighth of mushrooms and i was just blown away by it and not even such a large dose i mean half an eighth really isn't all that much but it's still i felt like i had i had touched something just special, something that I think a lot of us have always been looking for or thought might be out there and just couldn't find anywhere. And then I ate those mushrooms and I was like, oh, here it is. Uh-huh. So I just, I've been in now, love since then.
1: When you say half an eighth, an eighth of an eighth of an ounce? Or what's an eighth?
0: Uh, an eighth is 3.5 grams. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I had about one and a half grams or so. I see. Again, relatively low dose, but still enough to open the doors for me.
1: And how does that compare to the dosages that people are receiving through psychedelic assisted therapy uh, now
0: that it's legal? Uh, It would be a lower dose, I believe, than people are receiving now. I believe they receive between two to three grams. Uh Um, So mine was a little bit lower.
1: Okay, and tell us about the books that you've written. Um, Can you kind of describe each of them and how they relate to each other and to your work in general?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my first book was called The Witch's Ointment, which details how medieval wise women were unfairly targeted as quote unquote witches. And one of their practices uh involved having what we today would call entheogenic experiences now they didn't have the word entheogen back then it was only coined in, i believe 1979 but had that word existed that's the word people would have used these women would rub their bodies with ointments made out of things like henbane mandrake opium belladonna And in some cases, uh, we have one account from the early 1600s that these people were also using psychedelic mushrooms. So what my book does is goes over how the church demonized these women as witches when they were really just healers and shamans. Uh, My second book, Psychedelic Mystery Traditions, sort of covers the breadth of psychedelia in Western civilization. We're all very familiar with um, psychedelic use amongst uh, First Nations peoples, but a lot of uh, folks don't realize that Western civilization also has psychedelic um, uh, traditions that go back thousands of years. Now, they weren't using things like peyote and ayahuasca, but they were using things like cannabis, opium, and mushrooms. Uh, Microdosing magic is a sort of a little practical manual I wrote for people interested in um, using magical and witchcraft sort of techniques with um, their microdosing regime regime and my last book was called lsd the wonder child which just it's a history of the 1950s when lsd wasn't seen as this you know as it later came to be called a horror child but during the 50s they actually called it a wonder child so i wanted to sort of show that these medicines had been successfully used in the united states and western europe during the 50s to heal people uh-huh. So how do you, um, do you differentiate in
1: your own mind, uh, or do you think it's a significant difference whether a psychedelic substance is derived from a plant like mushrooms or um, a- in a laboratory like LSD or uh, or
0: MDMA? Yeah, that's a great question. I My thing is that whatever works for the person whether it's natural or synthetic is fine with me. The only thing, uh, the only area where I would uh, part company with uh, that opinion would be with 5-MeO-DMT because in order to extract the, the 5-MeO-DMT from the toad, the Sonora Desert Toad, you kind of have to torture it, which no, got I'm it. not down with at all. So the synthetic form means that the cute little toads can be left alone and it's actually far more stable than the toad medicine. The synthetic form is uh, it's easier to measure out doses, safe doses, and again, most importantly, it doesn't harm any animals. So I think there's nuance. Um, you know, with mushrooms, I like going to the coast and picking my own mushrooms and eating those because all of that, the the foraging, is part of the spiritual experience for me. However, I'm not going to go out and harm a toad in the same way. So I would go for the synthetic five meo DMT. I see. Uh
1: huh. And is DMT like what's the relationship between? I know DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca, and ayahuasca mm-hmm. basically was just a way that we could get DMT through an oral uh taking it orally because uh straight DMT I guess you can't take it orally. I've never done it but I mean you, you smoke it or or something like that. Um but is is DMT so DMT's inherent to ayahuasca but is it also related to mushrooms and other psychedelics?
0: No. No. Okay. Um dimethyltryptamine, tryptamines of their own sort of class um Mm -hmm. yeah the psilocybin mushrooms are a different thing okay
1: tell us about witchcraft you know because a lot of people you know are confused about witchcraft and you know they haven't read your books and you're you know you practice witchcraft what does that mean and does that
0: make you a warlock uh no i i go by the word witch um the yeah. the term which uh the the latin word lamia is interchangeable men were called witches women were called witches uh warlock was more of a modern um word it came later because i guess people wanted to you know how we have to genderize everything you right. know we we got to do that so i i just go with the word witch because that that feels i don't know more natural to me uh warlock and it never I don't know, it just never stuck with me. Um, But uh, psychedelic witchcraft, which is what I uh, involved myself with, has to do with the worship of goddesses and um, eating mushrooms in their honor, drinking ayahuasca in their honor, smoking cannabis in their honor. And um, it's a psychedelic witchcraft is a sort of a mixture of ancient Gnosticism ancient mystery uh religion and medieval witchcraft all okay. sort of rolled into one In very when, syncretistic uh religion and how do you practice as a witch so i mean i have just different uh rituals or what we call rituals uh that i do for example on most nights uh i didn't last night because so I was kind of busy but most nights i'll do my amanita muscaria uh, ritual before bed for dream divination, and I'll call out to the three main goddesses of my pantheon, being Gaia, Hecate, and Circe, uh, all for different reasons. You know, I'll cast a magical circle, I'll burn the incenses, I'll take the mushrooms, I'll offer up the mushrooms to the goddess. It's stuff like that. I see.
1: Uh huh. And do you have like ceremonies pub with with groups, or you invite people in for? rituals on
0: uh, on special occasions uh sometimes i mean eden you, you know Eden, my my business and creative partner she sure. and i will do witchcraft together and i'll have uh what i call love parties which are mdma and mushroom parties and uh just a small group of people around you know 10 to a dozen and we'll uh imbibe the sacraments and do some witchy stuff I see.
1: Okay, cool. All right. So now, you know, we're in this very special time now where there are legal uh, changes coming down the pike that make psychedelic assisted therapies legally possible. Um, Tell us about that and tell us about Measure 109.
0: Yeah, great. Excellent. So in 2020, two ballot measures passed in the state of Oregon. One was Measure 109, which made... Uh, psilocybin therapy kind of legal (laughs) it's it's kind of in a gray area it's not federally legal it's sort of legal in the states but only in the legal facilities right so the mushroom outside the facility is still illegal mushroom inside the facility is legal so one of the things that came with measure 109 was um a sort of a high ticket price for these um for these medicines and the the price has to do with insurance. I mean, uh, overhead, I mean, this is all very experimental. So part of uh, uh, me can understand sort of where the price comes from. I think there might be a little bit of gouging in there, but the point is uh, Eden and I didn't want to despair about any of this. We wanted to try to help. And so we started Sanctum Thrift, which is our thrift store, which I'm in my office in the thrift store right now. And um, what we do is uh, donations and uh, sales from the store go into our psychedelic therapy access fund. And uh, we're working now to build that fund. It should take about seven or eight months or so. We're hoping if we meet our projected goals uh, that we could start the application process uh, for people who wanna receive money for psilocybin therapy if they have financial barriers. So that's only who this is for. Our application process works similarly to uh, Planned Parenthoods in that it's based on income. I see. And so, yeah, if somebody comes in and they're making six figures a year, Sorry, you know, you're not, we're not giving you money. You know, you can afford it. It, This is for people, uh, specifically people who have been historically marginalized and kept out of these conversations and sort of kept out of the psychedelic renaissance. And, you know, this movement is supposed to be about all of us. And so Sanctum Thrift is here to ensure that people who want to have this kind of experience are not going to be left outside the door just because they don't have the finances to afford it.
1: Right. Okay. So let's put this in context. I mean, what the way things are structured now, in order to have this experience of a psilocybin-assisted therapy session, you have to do it through an agency that's accredited, blah, blah, blah. You have to go in and do it on site somewhere. What is it normally run for somebody, um, You know, regardless of what their
0: income is or whatever? What's the normal rate? The normal rate is about $3,000. And that includes the uh, sort of the pre-op for lack of a better way of putting it, The session itself and then the integration that follows, uh, which is the most important part of the experience is the integration afterward. So again, I can see partially how I could see how some of the price is justified. But other aspects of it, I can't. Uh, for example, I was at, uh, Eden and I were at an unconference. I keep pointing this way, because as of Eden's right here, but she's not. <laughs> we were at a uh, an unconference on Saturday, and one of the, um, Psilocybin policy analyst was there. And, you know, one of the questions I get all the time is about the price. And so I brought up that question. And one of the things he said about it that I strongly disagree with. Again, I understand insurance. I get understand overhead. I understand there has to be somebody to mop the floors, keep the place clean. But then he said, and also, um, you know, if you go see an accountant, you're expected to pay to see that accountant, and that may well, very well be true. I'm not very well. It is true. The difference is, eating mushrooms is a natural right. Seeing an accountant is not a natural right. So I don't think that that's an apt comparison. So whatever people are, whatever chunk of money people are saying, well, here's my, you know, accountant fee or whatever maybe you cut that in half a little bit because people have a natural right to these mushrooms. And it's not fair that it's like, okay, so the law says you can't eat mushrooms outside this facility. And the law also sort of says you can eat mushrooms in this facility, but for a high price. And it's like, well, what about all the people who want to eat mushrooms, but can't foot the bill? So again, sanctum. Okay,
1: so you you maintain that it's our natural right to Oh, absolutely. Plant substances, but that's not what the well, that's not the way the laws are. You know, but yeah. let's say that let's say that um psychedelic substances were decriminalized. That would make a lot of difference because then people could take them on their own or find their own uh supportive resources. Um, you know
0: what but if I may, if I may, real quick, decriminalization is also a little bit of BS because. The idea is, okay, well, um, mushrooms are just not a priority. Like, that's what decriminalization means. It means law enforcement, they're not gonna prioritize it. All right, fine, but what about when they do arrest somebody for having mushrooms on them? I mean, you can still get arrested in Oregon for that, and this is your natural right to eat mushrooms. So, they should just be, I I mean, I don't even know what the term would be, but they should be like tomatoes in your in your vegetable garden. I mean, they're not decriminalized, they're not illegal, they're not legal, they're just tomatoes grown in your garden. Well, <laughs> mushrooms grow naturally all over the state. It's one of the reasons I live here. And I mean, you have a natural right to go pick up anything you want and put it in your body. You just do. Right. Well, I couldn't agree
1: with you more, but uh, that's not the way the law is structured, you know, it's just crazy. Okay, so let's just say, let's just say your natural rights were honored and these things were not illegal, none of these things were, were illegal. Um, what, are they equivalent? You know, we, we've got psilocybin, we've got LSD, we've got ketamine, we've got MDMA, we've got ayahuasca. I, how do you know which one is the best for you?
0: if you're interested in getting some benefit from psychedelic assisted, uh, experience. So that's a great question. And I think that just comes down to the individual. Um, like I prefer mushrooms, Eden prefers LSD, uh, as far as something like ayahuasca, ayahuasca is kind of special because she will call out to you. If you're supposed to drink ayahuasca, she is going to tap you and be like, you know, You gotta drink me. (laughs) So that's kind of um, really how, you know, it's just, you sort of figure it out. I mean, they're all relatively safe as long as you don't do something irresponsible on them. And that's sort of why the clinics are there. And I'm not against the clinics, by the way. I think they're a good thing. Not everybody wants to, you know, is as cavalier as I am and wants to go out into the woods and eat mushrooms and hug trees and roll around in the dirt and do witchcraft. You know, some people really want that clinical experience, which is why we support it. And um, getting back to your question, since mushrooms are physiologically safe, that is a pretty good place to start especially if you are new to it and you've never you know tried psilocybin before then taking you know these very safe mushrooms in a very safe clinical environment I think that's a really good thing you know so uh, there are parts of me that that absolutely are supportive of these clinics you know not everyone likes to eat mushrooms the way I do and they should have that option.
1: okay so in terms of the clinic experience,
0: therapeutically what is psilocybin best suited for uh psilocybin is best suited uh for sort of digging out i mean to use witchy and magical terms i would say shadow work um but uh in clinical terms you'd say things like trauma therapy okay trauma therapy all right yeah because mushrooms lsd ayahuasca mescaline peyote they they uh cause in some people what is known in psychological circles as abreaction, which is when a long forgotten memory sort of bubbles up to the fore of your conscious mind um they it's one of the most uh useful and fascinating things about them is how far back into your memory you can go you know what other okay. psychedelic, other than psilocybin what other psychedelics have become legal for therapy uh so ketamine is legal for therapy and has been for a while now some people don't consider ketamine psychedelic um i do personally some people don't they consider a disassociative but i just consider disassociatives a family of the larger psychedelic umbrella Right, okay. And uh, MDMA is probably gonna be the, the first one that's federally legal, like before ketamine, before um, psilocybin and way before LSD. I mean, I don't even think that's on the docket yet, but uh, MDMA in probably another couple of years is gonna be federally legal, you know, across the board for uh, therapy. And so do you
1: see these psychedelic clinics uh, starting to offer that when that happens? In addition I would
0: to driving, yeah, that yeah. Because getting back to your question is, how do you know which one you know to use? If somebody, let's say, they tried LSD as a teenager or early twenties, now they're in their forties or so, and you know they they want to try it again, but the only option is mushrooms. Well, if LSD joins mushrooms in you know the clinical sort of legal gray area, that'll give that person the option to go with LSD instead. Which I think, you know, more options, more choices for more people is always the better way to go. Right. And you are,
1: you know, you've kind of dedicated, is this your life's work? I mean, educating yes. people about psychedelics. And right now you've got a thing, it's part of the Sanctum Org, uh, is your Psychedelic Education Center. Yeah. And I was reading on your website um, it, that it's currently archiving the last materials of the Timothy Leary collection. Yeah. What is the Timothy Leary collection?
0: What's that? What is the Timothy Leary collection? Oh. So what, uh, what we have are the last 34 boxes that were in Timothy Leary's house when he transcended this world into the next. So it's a lot of newspaper clippings, um, books, records. Um, we have his wallet. We have one of his unpaid parking tickets um some flyers back from the 1960s when they were giving um you know LSD and mushroom trials there's a lot of cool stuff in there
1: uh-huh well that sounds great and so do people like go to your to your location in
0: Milwaukee to to get this to get access to these materials or well, we're we're digitizing all of it, and uh, you could find it on our website, which is sanctum, P-S-A-N-C-T-U-M.org. sanctum. And if org. Sanctum. Yeah, at, at the shop though, we do have a little museum glass that has Leary's wallet. Um, the famous Life Magazine article from 1957, where Robert Gordon Wasson met Maria Sabina and ate mushrooms for the first time. So some of the uh, the items in the collection are in the shop for people to view, but right. the the articles and stuff, the newspaper clippings, of which there's thousands of them, those are all kept in a secret location and one box at a time is brought here uh, to the um, the education center to go through digitizing. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Now, do you see any role in the future that, you know, a legalized role for what they call sitters or people who might, you know, sit in with you when you do a psychedelic experience just for the sake of, you
0: know, making it safe and comfortable? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole underground network of psychedelic sitters. So Mm -hmm. you can, you know, depending on who you know, if you're like, oh, you know, I want to try some mushrooms, but whatever. My spouse isn't gonna be around that weekend to just sort of watch over me and to trips it. So you could actually find people. Uh, I mean, I've done it. Um, sort of spontaneously back in my roller derby days. Uh, sometimes we'd be at after parties and after after parties and after 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 parties and people would take a little too much of something and they'd always be You're
2: like, hey, listening man, to KBOO know. Portland. You're listening to KBOO community radio and we're nearing the end of our fall membership drive. We only have a few days left to meet our $55,000 goal. And you can do your part by going to FM slash give to make a contribution today. All donations will be matched up to $14,000 thanks to a generous group of donors. KBOO's independent programming is only possible with your support. Give now at kbu.fm give. KBOO Community Radio is a proud media sponsor of the Dia de los Muertos celebration. On Wednesday, November 1st, from 12 to 10 p.m., At the Red on Salmon Street in Portland. Dia de los Muertos is an ancient celebration originating from the indigenous people of Mexico. Festivities will include outdoor creation, Muertos.